Okay, well, good morning. Hope you're doing well. Uh, my name's Alid. I'm one of the members here at King's and part of the leadership team. I'm aware we're running a little bit kind of short on time, but that's okay. I'm going to try and adjust as best as I can. Um, my name's, uh, it's, it's just a real privilege to be starting what is going to be the beginning of a seven-week series looking at following Jesus. Uh, that's the invitation. Jesus says, come and follow me, where well, we're going to be looking a little bit closer about what does that actually mean for our lives. I don't know how your last year has been. I know that for some of us, there's been some real challenges, some others more than uh, others. But I think it also has uh, given us the opportunity maybe to take stock, to reflect on many things, not least maybe our commitments and our busyness, maybe even what you think about church and God. Um, I wonder whether it's even highlighted for you how deep or maybe how shallow your personal relationship with God was when you realize that all these other things that we do were taken away. And my hope throughout this series is that it will help us, all of us, to rethink what it means to truly be obedient in following Jesus, to have a life which is shaped by Jesus. So the next seven weeks, kind of almost like an MOT on a car, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and highlight maybe areas of our lives, areas of our faith and our walk with Him that maybe just need a bit of TLC, maybe things that have got a bit weary, maybe got a bit tired and need some attention. But also, my, my prayer is over these seven weeks, God will also highlight areas in our lives which, if we're honest, just have no place in the hearts and mind and the people of God. I wonder as we come back together again, God is going to start to purify us and he's going to start and call us back to his first love. So this morning, we're going to go right back to basics. All right, I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm going to go right back to the real basics of the Christian faith. And we're going to look at the ABCs, if you like, of the Christian faith. And we're going to remind ourselves of two of the fundamental truths of salvation. Firstly, how is it that we can be saved? How are we saved? How is it that we can receive life? And secondly, why we have been saved. And that's where I'm going to land it. And I think those things are things that may be familiar to you. Let me encourage you, don't switch off, don't get on your Instagram feed, because you might find that actually you are, you're kind of selling yourself short of the full gospel, because I think that is something that we are all at risk of doing in these basic things. But by means of setting a context, I just want to briefly touch on the problem of sin and the problem of self sovereignty. Maybe if you're not a Christian, maybe if you're someone who is watching online today and you've not had experience of church or don't know much about the Bible, let me just share with you a universal problem which will affect each and every one of us in our lives. And we've, I've called it the sovereignty of self because I believe that is at the very heart of sin. That part of our sinful nature which feels as if we have somehow the right to rule our own lives that we can somehow be seen and respected, even worshipped for who we choose to be. And we're surrounded by a culture that says that we can be who we want to be. It says that we deserve to get better, to get more, to get profile or get power. And with that comes this sense of self-reliance. My labels, my opportunities, my identity. Ultimately, the world says that the world, the universe, can resolve around or revolve around you. And sin has so ingrained in us this idea that we are able to sustain and flourish and succeed and indeed be fruitful without God, without the need 
of God. But let me just highlight two problems with these lies that the world has fallen for. Firstly, sin promises what it cannot fulfill. Sin promises many things, but it can't fulfill any of them. This idea that we can make something of ourselves and find life and fulfillment void of God is simply a mirage. It's something we can chase after, but it never actually brings fulfillment. And secondly, self-sovereignty, if you like, that being Lord of self, is actually void of any reality. However much I might want it to be true, or even believe it to be true, our attempt to be lords of our own life is simply like a coup against the Lord God Almighty, the King above all kings. It's it's as ridiculous as me today going up to Buckingham Palace and saying, I've decided today I'm going to be the king of the nation, let me in. It's void of any reality. And so with those things in mind then to help us, I just want to answer this first question, how then are we saved? How then do we receive life in all its fullness, okay? If sin makes promises that it can't fulfill, we're going to look now very briefly at an Old Testament text, which is a promise from God on how he can fulfill life and salvation. We're going to look at what God promises and how he can fill. So we're just going to very briefly look at uh, a book, Ezekiel. There's Ezekiel 36. And this is something which was written 600 years before Jesus. And God is speaking to his people, the people of Israel. And it's a promise about a new covenant that he's going to bring in. And this is a covenant, a promise, if you like, which involves you and me today. So let's just very uh, quickly look at this, right? And in, in case anyone here is at risk of thinking that they can somehow do life on their own, just notice the amount of times God refers to himself and says, I will do these things. Let's just have a quick look. Verse 24. I, this is God, right? It's the word of the Lord. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own lands. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Thirteen times in just 11 verses, God says, I will do these things. I will do these things. Life and salvation and the things that we search for in our lives, they are grounded solely in the sovereign grace of Jesus. And it is impossible for the people of Israel, but this includes you and me in this new covenant, it's impossible for us to escape the tyranny of sin, to escape the curse of death without the grace and the mercy of God on our lives. And no one escapes the reality of this. It doesn't matter how much money you have, what reputation you've got, what background you've got, what job you have. All of us, it says in the Bible, all of us, were dead in our sin, spiritually dead. You see, whilst sin promises to bring you life, the Bible shows us in reality it actually only leads to death. And just to clarify, death is the complete opposite of life. (laughs) 
Okay, my, my, I've got a three-year-old boy. He loves to search for bugs in the garden. And he, he brings me a Tupperware box with a woodlouse. And it's got grass in there. It's got a bit of water in there. But it's all jacked up. His legs are all funny. His antennae is missing. He's dead. And Caleb's there looking at his pet. You know, he wants to feed his pet. But it's dead. He can't do anything. He comes back after two hours, three hours. It's still not moved. It's not able to do anything. And this is what, if we look at the book of Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul, New Testament, talking about this same covenant for you and me. He says, we were dead in our sins. Not, not kind of dead, not sort of dead, not just mostly dead, dead in our sins. Completely unable to do anything for ourselves. No amount of hunting or searching, working, relating or pursuing can bring what is dead back to life. But the hinge verse, however, where everything changes is in verse 4 of Ephesians 2. Let's, let's quickly look at it. It will come up behind me. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, and he seated us with the heavenly places. Notice, who's doing all the action here? It's all God, it's not us. And to make it clear, Paul says this, again, he goes in verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved by faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works. What works? Anything you may try and do on your own account. None of it gets you anywhere. It is not by works so that no one may boast. God is doing all the action here. He has justified us. He has brought about life. He has won salvation for us. He has done this. The sole ground of our salvation is the grace and mercy of God. Now, many of us know this. Many of us have been taught this for many years. Maybe you're not a Christian and you don't understand this. Well, I want to tell you today that you are not able to find fulfillment and life on your own, void of God. It is only by the grace and mercy of God in our lives. But the question isn't whether you know it's true this morning. The question is whether we are living in the reality of that truth. And for many of us, I wonder whether God would want to challenge us because we have one eye on God and another on the world. And it's because we have either fallen for the trap of believing that true life is found out there and not within this book, or, and I suggest worse still and more dangerous, is that you're trying to do both. If you're honest, you've actually got one foot in one camp and one foot in the other. You're fine to come along on a Sunday. You're, you're fine to come along to the church stuff and worship and exalt God, but you have no qualms about looking at pornography in the evening or having an argument and shouting and swearing at your wife or fiddling your taxes or doing all the things actually God has actually saved you from those things. And I think one of the things that God would want to remind us is that we are saved purely by faith in him alone, by his grace and mercy. And that all of those things that he has set us free from, they all lead ultimately to death. 
And my encouragement for us this morning, for all of us, is that we would flee from those things that rob us of life and run wholeheartedly to the King of Kings who can give you life. Some of you have been searching and searching, and I want to tell you this morning, where you're searching, it just leads to a dead end of disappointment, and God can provide you a life which can satisfy you. It can satisfy you. But we have got to be convinced that that's true. And I know there are many of us that will dabble in the things of sin because there is part of our minds where we just haven't allowed ourselves to be convinced that he is everything that we need. He is everything that can satisfy. Guys, there is no little sin. There is no sin which is tolerable for God. All sin, however small, or as Matt Chandler puts it, even those puppy sins, they all lead to death. You know what I mean? Like that puppy, that little cute puppy that you take home, you think it's so sweet, and then it chews up your couch and takes a dump on your bed. Ultimately, Even those things that you think are harmless, it's out to destroy you and to wreck you and to kill you. And God says you turn away from those things. This is the invitation for Jesus to come and follow me. It's to get rid of the old life and to walk into what truly can save you. There is only one thing that can save us, and that is Jesus Christ. You need death to self in order for life to reign. And I just... I'm concerned that actually not dying to self actually leads to a worthless gospel, an add-on gospel, a bolt-on gospel where you receive Jesus, but it still orientates around you and your own glory. God says that there is no room on his throne for additional kings and queens. So how are we saved? We're saved purely by the grace of God. And it is the only place where you will find salvation. So that's how we have been saved. Let me just briefly talk about why we have been saved. Why has God done this? Why has God gone through such great lengths to save us? And I know what most of us are thinking because it's what we're taught. It's because God loves us, right? God loves us. We know that. It says that in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But I would just like to submit to you today that that is only half the answer. It's only half the answer. He, He does love us. He does love you. But there is something I think far more central, albeit intrinsically linked to his love for us, which is driving God to do these things. And we find the answer just before the Ezekiel passage that we just read. Let's just look at Ezekiel 36, verse 22. It says this. This might come as a shock for some of you. It is not for your sake, God says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act for the sake of my holy name. Now, you listen to this. Which you have profaned among the nations. Verse 23, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. 
Verse 32, it is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Verse 36, this is after the promise of what he's going to do in the new covenant. What does God round it up? He says, then the nations that are left around you shall know that I am the Lord. If the motive of sin, remember going back to the beginning of that self-sovereignty, is to make us our own gods and to bring worship upon ourselves, God's number one motive is to regain his sovereignty and to be worshipped among the nations. God is zealous for his name. God is zealous for his image and for his glory. He saves us. He restores us that we may be seen in all his glory and majesty. Receive him and give him glory for all he is. Ephesians 1.13. It's, it's literally it's all throughout scripture. Just wherever you look, you'll see this again and again and again. Ephesians 1.13. In him, you also. So this is talking about us being included with the people of Israel. We... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Why? To the praise of his glory. That's why. Why has God saved you and redeemed you from darkness? So you may give him glory. For the praise of his glory. Romans 1.5. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Why? He just says it there. For the sake of his name among the nations. That's why I will save and restore and redeem my people, not for their sake, but for the sake of my great name. Are you hearing this? This is very different to the way that we think. Seventy different times in Ezekiel, God says, I will do this, not for their sake, but for the sake of my name and my glory. You've got to understand that when Jesus invites us to follow him, he is inviting us to join with him in giving him the glory that is due his name. That we robbed from him in our sin and exalted ourselves to receive glory and praise and honor, which would only go to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The resounding reality of these passages is clear. Why does God save his people? Because God loves his glory and desires his glory among the nations. And this, this is sometimes difficult for us to understand because it's, it's all about me. God loves me, right? He died for me, and he does love you. He does love us, but supremely for his glory among the nations, supremely for his glory within your family, within your workplace, within bus 26A, wherever you find yourself. He has saved you as a testimony, as an object, as a signpost of glory to the one who saved you. This God that we worship and what we've been singing about today is worthy of all praise but he is also the source of all goodness and all life. So what is it that God can offer us? What, what, what better thing can he offer us than enjoyment of himself? So this doesn't take away from his goodness or his love for us. Actually, him being exalted upon the earth, the one who is able to provide all of our needs, what can he offer us but to say, you come and worship and enjoy me, the fulfillment of everything that you need and desire. 
This is what we get to do. This is what we get to come and to worship him. That we shall give him glory and elevate him above all else in our lives. Just going to finish up. And so a life of following Jesus as we start this series is one that realigns away from the glory of self and back onto the glory of God. That's what it means to be Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it truly means to follow him. It's to desire his glory above everything else, even life itself. It's to desire his glory. And that will change the decisions you make. That will change where you live, how you spend your money, what you put your focus on, what you do with your time. When you have all of those things on the table before him and say, it's all yours for the sake of your glory among the nations, it changes the way you think, it changes the way you act, and it changes the way that you live. So my encouragement as we start this seven-week series is, why are you here? How are you here? And I guess I just want to remind you that all of history is heading that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess and exalt him and say, he is the king above all kings. And my, my, my encouragement is let's get on that line of thought. Let's get on that history. Let's fulfill God's command to worship him without all and to give him glory. Let me just quickly pray before we finish up. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that where we have sought to seek life and find life in lots of different places and ways, I want to thank you that you can provide life in all its fullness. And Father, we, where we, many of us have maybe been Christians for so many years, but have got a foot in one camp and still looking after our, over our shoulder, looking at, I wonder really whether life is out there. Lord, I pray, would you convince us that there is nothing good in sin? And I pray, would you give us a holy hatred of sin in our lives and help us to realign our thinking and our minds that we may fully run towards you, who is our joy and our hope and our only salvation. <laughs> There is no plan B. We say you are all it. And we say we are all in to worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.